Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. It's our goal here to create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians by helping the two professions to better understand each other with the ultimate goal, making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, in case you haven't caught on so far. Well, talking about being happy, comfortable, having energy efficiency in your home, it comes from good design and good practice. Our guest on today's podcast, Jeremy Begley, has been studying these kind of details for many years. Details like the fact that building and energy codes are becoming more and more stringent. Green building programs are driving more and more high-end construction. Products and construction techniques are rapidly evolving. Jeremy's also paid attention to what is sorely needed and missing. That's why he's helped to define what he calls full-use case HVAC, looking at the requirements, the performance, the technology, architectural integrity, installation, and maintenance. Jeremy gives us clues and hints on how we can all do better in HVAC design. Got some great links in the show notes to Jeremy's business, his LinkedIn profile, and you can follow him. He's got a lot of posts, very frequent posts and comments on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. He's also got a couple of good blog posts that he's done for the Insulation Institute within the past couple months. Those links are in the show notes, and that's about the concept of order of operations for heat pumps. I've also listed some of the other Jeremy's favorite resources that he talks about if you're interested in learning more about these kind of things. So let's get on to the conversation with Jeremy Begley, where he's helped to build a thriving business with attentiveness and determination. Pleased today to have a friend I haven't talked to in a while, Jeremy Begley. Morning, Jeremy. Hey, Bill. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm not sure your voice people have heard before on podcasts. Have you done any lately? Not lately. I did do one with you like three years ago. Wow, three years ago. Okay. Maybe longer. Probably longer. Because we've had COVID since then and everything. So it's really probably been five years ago, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) COVID did a weird thing to time where you're like, oh, five, no, maybe 10. (laughs) The water balloon in your brain just went splash. So. That time never existed. <laughs> Give the listeners a little bit of background about who you are, where you came from, and what your business is right now. Sure. I got started in the existing building world. I first worked in the home performance field. I specifically got started in this industry. I was at Cincinnati State, and during the Obama era, I was taking environmental science classes, and I ended up going to a convention that was called Power Shift in around 2008 or 2009. I was talking about climate change and Van Jones, who was then the environmental director for Obama, was the keynote speaker. And they were talking about their plan to fix the economy and by fixing the energy and buildings. And that was the beginning of the Aura funds. At that time, they were calling it the Yellow Brick Road Initiative. And it turned into what we then came to know as the Aura funds much later on, the Recovery and Reinvestment Act. And while I was up there, I heard him talk about the, if you want to get in, there's this organization, BPI. He's like, and this is what we're going to be using to oversee all the contractor networks and things like that. We're going to be using their certification. So I'm giving you guys an in right now. So when I went back to Cincinnati, I started talking to the director of the renewable energy program about that particular track. And he's like, man, we got to get that, some version of that stuff here at the college. So 
they ended up bringing a BPI class there, uh, a 40-hour BPI class, and I was one of the first people to take it. And then the economy crashed, and they're like, get this job doing this energy auditing thing. And everybody's like, no, we're not doing any new stuff, like, let alone some green weenie thing. It's never going to go anywhere. And so next thing you know, I had a friend who was like also in a similar situation, but in a different industry. He was a graphic artist, and he had just been to college and got a degree, and he couldn't use it. And he's like, how about I make you a website? You could try to figure this thing out on your own. So that's where my dive into home performance started out was just a little BPI class. And then a friend of mine encouraged me to go out and start my own business because it was just, there was not a time when a lot of people were hiring. And that ended up being the best thing I ever did. From there, I was on Twitter, ended up meeting a whole building science group on Twitter. Back at that time, that's earlier, you said you're going to ask me the question, where do you go to learn? Like at that time, that is where you went to learn was Twitter. I mean, it was a different landscape back then on the Twitter sphere. So there was the beginnings of the BPI and ResNet groups and things like that going on. So that's where everybody from this industry, I just got to know everybody, the Allison Bales and the Peter Trost of the world and guys like Carl Seville, early guys on there, just conversating about all things building science. And I think we were all figuring it out together a little bit at that time. So then from there, I had a home performance business for the bulk of the Aura Fund era, where, and then as that started to wind down, I sold it to an HVAC company and went to work for them. And I got to learn the HVAC side of things and how that all meshed with home performance and how it didn't mesh with home performance and the pieces of it that guys loved and the pieces of it that guys hated. So after that, my contract was up with those guys, I went back out on my own for a little bit and I ended up hooking up with Paul Yankee, doing some subcontracting work for his group, Green Building Consulting. I started doing a bunch of HERS ratings and lead for home stuff and got an HVAC design. We started seeing in my home performance days, I had been doing my own HVAC design and then I would just sub it out to somebody. I learned rights off the block load program real early on and bought into that whole thing. I was on the BPI LinkedIn group. So those guys, there, even really back at that time, everybody was talking about how important it was to size stuff the right way and not oversize. Dave Butler had written Elephant in the Room, which was a big piece on oversizing and how terrible it was and how nobody wanted to pay attention to it. And I just started building up, trying to encourage the guys there to do load calculations and things like that. And they didn't want anything to do with it. They're like, nah, we got our own way of doing stuff. We've been doing it this way for years. We don't need load calculations. So I ended up leaving them not too long after that and then hooking up with Paul. And then I started Paul and those guys were doing lead for homes and there was a tax abatement, a lead for homes tax abatement going on where you could get property tax abatement a significant amount. Like, so and if you built to a lead minimum standard, you got 10 years up to $200,000. But if you built the lead platinum, you got unlimited amount of years capped up to a half million dollars abated on taxes. So guys were literally getting, by building two lead platinum homes, they're getting a whole nother half home out of it from the tax benefit because then you can use it as a financing mechanism because it's written in stone. And so you have a lot of avenues for people to build big, expensive lead homes. And we did all of the verification work. And then I started doing some of the HVAC design work for those guys, helping them figure out how to get those big projects certified and compliant with lead and Energy Star. And pretty soon, Paul was giving me so much business, it started to hurt his feelings. So it was like, hey, maybe we should go into business together. I'm sick of giving you all this free money. And so that's where HVAC, the business we have now, HVAC Design Partners, that's what it was born out of, was 
the necessity of guys, it was terrible. I mean, the market, nobody was doing load calculations. Nobody knew how or wanted to. And even the guys that did want to didn't have the time to do it. There was maybe three shops that were big enough to have their own design department and stuff like that. So ever since then, we've just been growing that business. That was We opened that business in 2019, I guess. And we've been growing the design side of it pretty wholeheartedly. We do have a commissioning, functional testing side of it test and balance. We do do some of that stuff, but we haven't really focused on growing that side of it yet. We've been real focused on the design side the past couple of years here. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> it's my history. It's a lot. And obviously you're passionate about doing it right. And the HVC design partner is born out of necessity and maybe a little bit of frustration with something not existing. You just saw your vision and Paul's was there's this gap out there. There's a space you can operate in. Paul hired me to do the HVAC design reviews for his company and to create a HVAC design review process for green building consulting. And once we went down that road, there was no turning back. We saw how terrible things were. We started really doing like a robust review of the load calculations and it's mostly just garbage in, garbage out, garbage in, garbage out. We carried a very big stick with the tax abatement so we could force guys to do pretty much anything we wanted them to do, which ended up being fruitful. We were really able to move the needle in Cincinnati market when it came to the HVAC industry. And I've had guys, HVAC contractors tell me, man, I hate it. You, I hate it. You so bad. When I first started doing this and now I would not do it any other way because we do the review. We'll send it back to them, kick it back hold their inspections up for it. It's a frustrating process when guys first start going through that learning curve of understanding what it really takes to do an HVAC design from the beginning to implementation to commissioning and make it all make sense and just not do whatever you want in the middle of all that just to make things work. It can be time consuming and frustrating for the contractors to learn in the beginning, but most of them, I really haven't had any of them say anything negative of the callback. So afterwards, they all are basically like, man, if we just started doing it this way from the beginning, we'd have never went away from it because the amount of callbacks and the control that they have over their jobs from start to finish once they start doing it that way is just way different. I was talking with somebody the other day, and it's when the schedule dominates, a lot of things fall by the wayside. Is that the way you see it too? I mean, is it all about like schedule and cost? 100% about schedule. And these guys are so frantic to please the builders that they don't ever push back. So it's just a bad negative feedback loop that happens. Like the builders have an expectation. I'll even back it up. So the beginning of the process starts to fail right in the beginning of the process, because at the very beginning of the process, I'm going to talk from new construction, not change out, because these are two different worlds. Change out something totally different. New construction world, the process starts to fail right at the beginning of the process because these guys are obligated to bid a certain way. They're trying to win the work in the beginning. So they go and they get something to bid off of. So it's basically like whatever information we can get from the builder right now to formulate this bid to win this work right now. Well, as you know, whatever's on paper in the very beginning of a project is usually not what's getting built. It's a semblance of what is going to get built, but it's not the precise thing that we're going to formulate a load calculation to and specify HVAC equipment for and things like that. It is some picture that these guys are going to build at some point in time. And then they hand it to these guys and they go and they take it to their distributor and they're like, I need a price 
for HVAC for this. And then they give them a price based on the biggest thing that they could ever think of to put in there that might even be feasible to put in there in the first place because that's the most expensive thing. So they don't want to give them a price that they have to walk back at some point. So they give them a price for the most expensive, biggest thing. And then they put that on paper and then that becomes the thing that they're buying. It never gets changed after that. And then when we would get it, like in the HVAC review process, guys would already in the lead. I don't know how much people listen and know about the lead in the energy star world, but there's a series of inspections that have to happen. And at one point you should have already turned in your design work so that it could get approved. So that the thing that you're installing is a thing that should be installed and guys skip that step. They just don't even do the design and just go straight to rough. And then by the time they get to rough, they put in something that's not even the right thing for that house because they put in the thing that the guy gave them in the beginning when he just had this picture of the house that was being built. And so then the Raider gets there and they're like, whoa, none of this stuff matches anything. It's way too big. Everything is, this is crazy. Like, how'd this even happen? And it happened because these guys just don't follow the order of operations. It's funny. I keep, I like read an article using that terminology and brought it up. And now it fits a lot of things because when I first got into this business, people talked a lot about order of operations and the right way to do things and the ABC. And even in the context of things like knob and tube wiring, when we're doing retrofits, like just safety first type things, there is a certain of order that you have to do things in. And I don't hear that talked about as much now. Nowadays, the order of operations, it's more of a buzzword type of thing. Like we want to get to one place and this is how it doesn't matter how we get there. As long as we get to one certain place, we get to the end game, the shiny object. As long as we get to that, then maybe that's all we need to do. And I think that's taking us back a little bit because there is a order of operations that goes along with everything. And I mean, it's even talking about what I was just talking about, the load calculation stuff. Like these guys have to be able to get plans in their hands that are good plans and specs, and then base their bid on that and base their design on that, or else we're failing right out of the gate with this stuff. When it comes to the HAC in new construction, I see it over and over again. And as a design practitioner, that's one of the things we beat on, like, get me the real thing. Put me in contact with whoever's making those decisions. Like a lot of times in program world, the developer or the HVAC contractor is not even the one making the thermal decisions that drive the load. It's somebody, it's whoever the program administrators are telling them that they need this level of insulation or this level of air sealing and this sear of equipment. And all that information is important to have to formulate a good, solid load calculation off of. Because that's where our conversation begins and ends at, is the load calculation. So you mentioned the two articles you did that they were recently republished in the BPA journal, but I think you did them for the Insulation Institute blog. When did you do those and why did you write them? So when, I'm not sure about it. I would say a few months ago, generally, was when, they, when I first wrote them. It's pretty recent, within the past 90 days, easily. I wrote them for Insulation. The Insulation Institute reached out to me and said, hey, based on a comment, back and forth, I should say, for lack of a better description that we were having about the need to still air seal and insulate. I think the exact thing was, can heat pumps work on old homes or something like that? But then the conversation turned into, do you even really need to air seal and insulate? There's some thinking out there right now that the embodied energy that comes along with air seal and insulating is not worth the bang for the buck because by the time you get it into the home and everything, you've used more energy doing that than the home could ever use. Now, I cannot confirm or deny that. I don't know the numbers behind it. I just saw the thinking on it, and 
I understand what people are saying a little bit there, but there gets to be a point in time where we start throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And so we got to be real careful about that because it is exciting that people are finally thinking about heat pumps. I mean, it's exciting for a lot of us. We've been talking about heat pumps for God, the past 20 years now, easily. And then our fun days, we were pushing the whole dual fuel thing and doing economic balance points and figuring out where to turn the heat pump off at and turn the furnace on or trying to figure out that David Butler and a couple guys back in the day came up with a pretty inventive way to use heat pumps, a single stage 13C or run of the mill heat pumps where you could take a tankless water heater and a hydronic air handler and basically you get a 97% tankless water heater and a hydronic air handler with a heat pump outdoors, then you can run the heat pump at the same time as the hydronic air handler because the combustion's not happening above the coil or below the coil where it'll boil the coil. It's happening over on the wall. So then at that time, it's just like any resistance heat. Basically, you can run it supplementally as you need it instead of one having to turn off for another one to turn on. So the worst you ever got was 97% efficient hydronic air handler running off a tankless water heater in conjunction with the 200% or 1.6 or 1.4 or 1.2 or whatever you're getting out of it all the way down to the zero temperatures. You literally could just run that thing out. So we were trying to figure out the best way to use a heat pump a long time ago because we always knew that that was the most efficient piece of equipment on the market if you could make up for the loss of capacity, which we're starting to be able to do in the colder weather. And now we're being able to get that. By design. Yeah, by design, we're able to get that juice for the squeeze a little bit with these inverter heat pumps and cold weather heat pumps that you could not get before. But all that said, the air sealing and insulation is still the biggest bang for your buck unless somebody can prove me otherwise. I mean, you got to be able to air seal a house, insulate a house, and then start thinking about the other stuff, the heat pumps and the other energy saving or renewable energy. Because I think a point that may be getting lost a little bit is the cheapest fuel is always going to be the fuel we never used. And we've said that for God before I've even been born. There was a phrase out there, megawatts. Yeah, megawatts. So what constitutes your business today? Where do you advertise from to draw customers in? Where are they coming from regionally? That kind of thing. So it's interesting. I get asked this question a lot, where are my customers coming from? So contextually, I've lived in Knoxville for three years and I haven't done a single project in Knoxville. So we get business from everywhere, but the place I'm at right now, the place I physically live. So a ton of our business comes in from the single family lead for homes and energy star market in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's a pretty robust lead resource. Also, Paul Yankee is my partner. He's the president of Green Building Consulting. They're a bigger green building verification firm in the Midwest. And so their network provides a lot of referral business for us as well. We've started to really move into the multifamily market a lot. So we are doing MEP, full MEP service for multifamily buildings now. That all came about because Two years ago, I spent the whole entire summer traveling to affordable housing, multifamily buildings that were brand new and had rain in them, basically. So they were had moisture problems so bad, they were having to move tenants out. And the registers all, it was raining from any service that could condense, was condensing in the house. It was so bad to the point where one of them, I was in there with the property manager and he goes, I think this lady spilled pop in here. And I'm like, it's not pop, it's water on the floor. Where was it? Which region, city, area? That was actually in Iowa. Okay. I guess that's part of the point is that issues with humidity are not 
southern issue climate zone yeah one. <laughs> no they're not so unless it's a dry climate if you're not watching what you're doing with your hvac design especially in these smaller like the multifamily world is a big problem right now because engineers are so used to and this is what they do and it's no knock on engineers and i guess it's worked over the years but it's not working anymore and so this is what i see all the time because i do a ton of these reviews and i do a ton of site visits and investigations and things like that for people that are having problems so we see one bedroom one ton, two bedroom, two ton, three bedroom, three ton. And that's the way guys size. And by the time you get to three bedrooms, you're not much bigger than the one bedroom from a square footage size. And these multifamily buildings are not. They're usually knocking out closets or doing something goofy to find space to make another bedroom. They're not adding on a lot of square footage usually. They'll be a little bit bigger. I mean, you might be talking 900 square feet versus 1,200 square feet, but you're not one ton versus three ton bigger. And the other point is there's no... The amount of thermal exposures is exactly the same in a one bedroom as it is a three bedroom. So that is the biggest point that gets missed even by in the engineering world is like, guys, we don't have a bunch of thermal exposures. If I show you one of these units in the middle of a building that has no roof load, no foundation load and no exterior wall load, what do you think the load is on that thing? It's nothing. It doesn't matter if it's three tons. It's under a ton of cooling for sure. And there's no doubt about it. My sister lives in a condo in Brooklyn. And she said she turns her heat on three times a year. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, it works the same. Heat transfers, heat transfers. <laughs> Do they still call them party walls? I heard that term way back when. I, people say it. I mean, yeah, party wall. There's party walls. Adiabatic is the resonant term. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Party yeah. People think of the wrong kind of party, maybe. <laughs> yeah. You started to talk a little bit about some notable projects were there any that were like a point where you like stepped back and you said, wow, I really learned a lesson here, or I need to convey more about this? I can tell you, I mean, I'm not scared to talk about the ones I got in trouble on. So I can tell you that one thing that I got in trouble on was not doing the math on transfer fans. So I don't know if you've ever heard the myth of transfer fans. That in a passive home, you could use one BTU head one ductless head at the end of a building and then use transfer fans in the walls to move the air around between closed door rooms. So instead of having registers in a bedroom, you'd have a transfer fan between maybe the hallway and a bedroom. And that is something that will work probably only in passive home and only if it's correctly engineered, like really, really correctly engineered. You have to be real careful about being able to raise the temperature in the space that's being directly conditioned enough to raise the temperature in the room that's being indirectly conditioned and also to have to have enough CFM on the fan to move the amount of air from one space to the other. So in passive home, you could probably get away with it, but any other application, it's not going to work as well. And I had a multifamily building where we did that. I actually used it where it was not a passive home application. And we had to go back and end up re-engineering it a little bit to make it work the right way, just because that concept does not work well, except for the passive home world. So that's one. <laughs> Air is very tricky, especially as a heat transfer medium. So we would talk a little bit before, just a little bit about where you go to learn, reinforce what you do. How about where you're sharing? Are you in like a teaching or besides the blog posts and things like that, is this starting to become more of your makeup of the work you do? Yeah, and by design and just by the, that's just where I am a little bit in my career too. So we just did a heat pump training for the city of Cincinnati two-day heat pump 101 and heat pump 102. I'm going to be trying to produce out. I recorded a bunch of it with the GoPro and I know they did a professional recording of it too. So we're going to be trying to turn 
some of that into LinkedIn content and Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. So we just did put that training together and we have done some contractor trainings for guys that are wanting to learn how to do manual J load calculations on their own. I like to enable people to be able to do stuff for themselves just as much as I do help them doing it. So if it's a matter of getting somebody up and running and doing a couple training classes, that's something we're always happy to do as well. Before I forget, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you or your business? You can contact us on any of the socials. We're out there on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. And you can always email us at info at HVACdesignpartners.com. Do you see more businesses springing up doing things like you're doing? Yes. So I think just like with anything else, there's levels to it. So there are a ton of load calculation businesses right now. There are a ton of raider groups like HERS raiders and things like that that are starting to take on HVAC design because it's required for compliance now so frequently. And it's one of the harder pieces for guys to get right, either from a time standpoint or just a knowledge standpoint. I do see a lot of people just out of need more than anything taking it on in the Raider world, and then that's turning into viable business for them. It's a lot more crowded than when we got into it four years ago, that's for sure. But I think, does the fact that there's more in people into me, more of it's getting done? Are you hopeful? <laughs> yes, I am hopeful. I think the younger generation of HVAC contractors are paying attention to it a lot more than anybody else did. I'll say that much. Like This group that we have right now that I see active on Facebook and LinkedIn and things like that, there is more participation from the HVAC world than there ever has been before. I can tell you 2009, 2010, people that were in the HVAC world were at odds with people that were in the air seal and insulate world a lot of times about who should do what and what should be done first and things like that. But I see a lot of effort being put in people like Nate Adams that has brought the air seal insulate world more to the public eye of the HVAC world. Brian Orr is another one. Those guys, they do a great job of getting those concepts out in front of the HVAC industry. We had organizations in the past, Mike Rogers with Green Homes America and National Comfort Institute, but those guys were and also the Comfort Institute's another one. Those guys did it, but they were more behind the scenes because we didn't have social media like we do now when those guys were trying to get the HVAC home performance world or the home performance world mixed with the HVAC world and bring those two things together. I think there's a lot better chance of that happening now because of the connectivity. You rattle off a couple names there. Anything else you'd recommend? Like for somebody who becomes intrigued by what you're saying and they're looking for like an on-ramp to learn more maybe at different stages, maybe they're new to the career, maybe they're midway, maybe they want to move into consultancy road. What are some of the on-ramps to these different things? Huh, those are good questions. I would say if you're new to the industry and want to move into high-performance HVAC, I would take the ACA design class that they have first and foremost. I would start there. And then that, anything National Comfort Institute has to offer. Like those two organizations together, I think, are the perfect mesh of any technical side of any HVAC business. You have the design side with the ACA stuff, and then they also handle quality installation. But then you got National Comfort Institute who really dives into understanding airflow and understanding pressure and things like that. And being able to really go in and comprehensively diagnose a problem 
or a dock renovation or something like that, or balance out a house, all these different things they have to do with Airflow. Those two organizations, from an organizational standpoint, I learned the most going through their classes and anything. National Comfort Institute, I can't say enough good things about. Like, I've learned so much in my career from their classes and stuff. Like, I can't even begin to give them enough credit for the amount of learning that I've done through their organization and hands-on and just their willingness to help out and take your phone calls and stuff like that. Like on site, I've called those guys like, hey, let me help you work it out. They'll pick up the phone for anyone, literally. Did you know they're moving to Tennessee? Mm -mm. Yeah. That was just announced. I didn't hear that, but that's awesome. Where at? Do you know? Yeah. So at the National Comfort Institute, their summit held. They introduced a bunch of new things. The One of the main things they talked about was NCI relocating its headquarters from Sheffield Lake, Ohio, to Morristown, Tennessee. Huh. That's awesome. I know right where that's at. A 10,000-square-foot headquarters will contain numerous training rooms, video studio, admin offices, conference area, and much more. So you got a new neighbor. That's awesome. I'll definitely be going to see them. I enjoy interacting with those guys. We have a lot of synergies over the years. Absolutely. I see a poster on your wall over your shoulder. Is there a story behind that? The number of people who plan, start a plan? That's just a note to myself. Yeah. I mean, there is the story is like it says 70% of people who started plan quit, except you, not this time. So it's just a reminder to myself to keep going. Things get hairy. You have a plan and best laid plans of mice and men and all that. You got to have the gumption to keep going no matter what happens. And you got to remind yourself of that sometimes. Your evidence of that because you've obviously shaped your career with your own hand. And you, you look for opportunity. There's a book I'm reading right now called Atomic Habits. I'd recommend that. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with it. You're familiar with that book. So it's about these micro changes that add up over time. It's interest in yourself, investing in yourself, these little micro habits that slowly change the way you do things. And over the course of years, makes a huge difference. We talked a lot about what you've done, what you're doing. Are there anything that you consider concerning or challenging about this market, the market you work in right now? The thing that is becoming challenging is the heat pump education. So to me, that is a big, big, big challenge. And I'm actually really scared of what's going on in the heat pump push right now because it's a big buzzword. People love to say it. It's fun to say. It's something that I think in the long run can be very beneficial to the electrification movement and to the renewable energy movement. It is the best. The inverter heat pumps are the single best thing to interact with solar when you're trying to electrify a house or solarify a house, but they are also the most precise piece of HVAC equipment that we've ever seen when it comes to the way that they have to be selected and the things that you have to take into consideration to make sure that you're getting the right amount or the comfort that you're trying to promise people and the efficiency. Because these things, the thing people don't realize, especially the same exact people pushing them for the sake of efficiency, is if you get them installed in the wrong situation, the wrong way, and they're going to be the least efficient piece of equipment that you've ever put in anywhere. And we need to be able to dial to understand what you need to do to dial things in and what matter. I mean, airflow matters more than ever. 
uh, especially when we're ducting these things, these inverter heat pumps. When we get to ducting them, like we got to be able to seal the ducts up the correct way and make sure that the static pressures are in line. And if we exceed line set length, add refrigerant the right amount, weigh it out, weigh it back in. There's a bunch of nuances that go into installing and on the selection side too. Like these things don't always dehumidify the way that we think they will in certain situations. They don't put out the capacity that you think they will. Or on the flip side, they put out more capacity than you think that they will, especially in the multi-split situation. You get into a situation where you may think you have a 6,000 BTU piece of equipment indoors that turns down to 1,000 BTUs, but you may only ever get 6,000 BTUs out of it because your outdoor piece of equipment only turns down to 12,000 BTUs. So there's a lot of different little things that you have to look at when you're installing or when you're designing and specifying these things that people just aren't. They have no clue at all. I, when I'm teaching these classes, like these guys, like I talk about this stuff and their eyes are glazing over in their head. The class that we just taught, we dove into the new, I shouldn't say new because it's not even official yet, but the updated Redline version of the manual S that they're coming out with because a lot of the thinking that's in there right now is the way that a lot of us have been thinking about these heat pumps and designing these heat pumps and specifying these heat pumps for a while now out of necessity, we're already designing that way. So now that version of manual S has given us some standards to design to. And that's some of the content that I'm getting ready to produce out of the training is the different definitions that were put out in the manual S. I think it's real important for people to start understanding those definitions and using that terminology because it is going to help shape the heat pump market as we move forward. In my opinion, that new manual S can't get published quick enough, really. Yeah. I actually, I checked with Ed Janowak and I think he said weeks, not years. Yeah. That training you're talking about is the one that's going to evolve out as some videos where would those videos be posted or shared i'm going to post them on our socials so actually what i'm doing is i'm taking and breaking it into little tidbits from it and then with some other graphics to go along with it and then i'm going to be making a linkedin post i'm learning how to use some video editing and stuff as i go along here a little bit so yeah i see more and more really good stuff coming out on linkedin lately that includes yours too so yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. It's a great conversation. Great update. You made some amazing progress. Let's not let it be three years before the next time. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I think there's going to be some cool stuff in a couple of years coming from you. I hope so. I appreciate that. All right. Thanks for your time today, Jeremy. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this Building HVAC Science podcast episode with Jeremy Begley talking about how he's built a business with attentiveness and determination. All those great design skills and building science skills blended together. There's some other great trade-related resources and influences out there, including HVAC Air School, HVAC Shop Talk, Stephen Reardon, HVAC Reefer Guide Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, HVAC Air Videos, HomeDiagnosis.tv, AC Service Tech, and of course, MeasureQuick. I also host the ResTalk podcast, where you can learn more about the rapidly expanding world of home energy ratings and other peripheral topics. Some of them cross over into some of the stuff that Jeremy and I talked about in this podcast. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Hope you grab some good information that you can put to use, or at least cause you to question what you're doing today. If you want to keep up on other things that I find interesting, you can follow me personally on Facebook or TrueTech on Facebook or type Building HVAC Science into the Facebook search bar. 
If you want to reach out to get in touch, contact us via marketing at truetechtools.com. And if you're in the market for tools or test instruments that are involved in some of the podcast topics we discuss, you can take a look at truetechtools.com, my business, see what we carry. You can use the offer code HVACBS for a nice discount. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode and hope you come back to listen to more. Take care from Building HVAC Science and Bill Spohn.